One of the more paradigm-shifting essays that I ever read was Software 2.0 by Andre Karpathy, who really made a convincing case as to why machine learning software or software that learns by itself, <laughs> if you don't like buzzwords, is a categorically different type of software than the software that we're used to writing, which is by hand from humans with design intent, intentional design, rather than an evolutionary design. And so I think there's gathering momentum about this, and I often think about this. It's not in the sense that they will take our jobs, but that they will make humanity irrelevant in some way. And in some people, this is a positive because humans are terrible at driving. But for others, this is a negative because machines are terrible at telling what actually matters and stopping when they're going too far. There's a pretty good meditation on this by Peter Wang on the Lex Friedman podcast. What about the idea of, you said messiness. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't you put the software 2.0 idea, this idea of machine learning into the further and further steps into the world of messiness? The same kind of beautiful messiness of human communication. Isn't that what machine learning is? Is uh, building on levels of abstraction that don't have messiness in them, that uh, at the operating system level, then there's Python, the programming languages that have more and more power. But then finally, there's uh, neural networks that ultimately work with data. And so the programming is almost in the space of data and the data is allowed to be messy. Isn't mm. that a kind of program? So the idea of software 2.0 is a lot of the programming happens in the space of data. Mm -hmm. So back to Excel, <laughs> all roads lead back to Excel in the space of data and also the hyperparameters of the neural networks. And all of those allow the, the same kind of messiness that human communication allows. It does, but it, you know, I, my background is a physics. I took like two CS courses in college. So I don't have, um, now I did cram a bunch of CS uh, in prep when I applied for grad school, but um, but still, I, I don't have a formal background in computer science. Um, but what I have observed in studying programming languages and programming systems and, and things like that is that there seems to be this 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 triangle. It's one of these beautiful little iron triangles uh, in it, that you find in life sometimes. And it's the connection between the code correctness and kind of expressiveness of code, the semantics of the data, and then the kind of correctness or parameters of the underlying hardware compute system. Mm -hmm. So there's the algorithms that you want to you know apply. Um, there's what the bits that are stored on whatever media actually represent. So the semantics of the data, you know, within the representation. And then there's what the computer can actually do. Um, and every programming system, every information system, ultimately find some spot in the middle of this little triangle. Mm -hmm. Sometimes some systems collapse them into just one edge. Are we, are we including humans as a system um, in this? Picture? No, no, I'm just thinking about computing systems here, okay? okay? And the reason I bring this up is because I, I believe there's no free lunch around this stuff. So if we, build, if we build machine learning systems to sort of write the correct code that is at a certain level of performance, so it'll sort of select, right? With hyperparameters, hyper we can tune kind of how we want the performance boundary in SLA to, to, to look like for transforming some set of inputs into certain kinds of outputs. Mm -hmm. That training process itself is 
intrinsically sensitive to the kinds of inputs we put into it. It's and it's quite sensitive to the boundary conditions we put around the performance. So I think even as we move to using automated systems to build this transformation, as opposed to humans explicitly from a top-down perspective, figuring out, well, this schema and this database and these columns get selected for this algorithm. And here we put a, you know, a Fibonacci heap for some other thing. Um, human design or computer design, ultimately what we hit, the boundaries that we hit with these information systems is when the representation of the data hits the real world is where there's a lot of slop and a lot of interpretation. And that's where actually I think a lot of the work will go in the future is actually understanding kind of how to better in the, in the view of these live data systems, how to better encode the semantics of the world for those things. It'll be less about the details of how we write a particular SQL query. Okay, but given the semantics of the real world and the messiness of that, what does the word correctness mean when you're talking about code? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of dimensions to correctness. Historically, and this is one of the reasons I say that we're coming to the end of the era of software, because for the last 40 years or so, software correctness was really defined uh, about functional correctness. I write a function, it's got some inputs, does it produce the right outputs? If so, then I can turn it on, hook it up to the live database, and it goes. And more and more now we have, I mean, in fact, I think the bright line in the sand between machine learning systems or modern data-driven systems versus software, classical software systems is that the values of the input actually have to be considered with the function together to say this whole thing is correct or not. And usually there's a performance SLA as well. Like, did it actually finish making What's this- SLA? Sorry, service level agreement. So it has to return within some time. You have a 10 millisecond time budget to return a prediction of this level of accuracy, right? Um, so these are things that were not traditionally in most business computing systems for the last 20 years at all. People didn't think about it. But now we have value dependence on functional correctness. So that, that question of correctness is becoming a bigger and bigger question. Why does that map to the end of software? We've thought about software as just this thing that you can do in isolation with some you know, test trial inputs and in a very, you know, um, very sort of sandboxed environment. And we can quantify how does it scale? How does it you know, perform? How many nodes do we need to allocate if we want to scale this many inputs? When we start turning this stuff into prediction systems, real cybernetic systems, you're going to find scenarios where you get inputs that you're going to want to spend a little more time thinking about. You're going to find inputs that are not, it's not clear what you should do, right? So then the software has a varying amount of runtime uh, and correctness with regard to input. And that is a different kind of system altogether. Now it's a full-on cybernetic system. It's a next generation information system that is not like traditional software systems. Can you maybe describe what is a cybernetic system? Do you include humans in that picture? So is it is a human in the loop kind of complex mess of the whole kind of interactivity of software with the real world or, or is this something more concrete? Well, when I say cybernetic, I really do mean that the software itself is closing the observe, orient, decide, act loop by itself. So humans being out of the loop is, is in fact what for me, uh, makes it a cybernetic system. And so humans are out of that loop. That when discuss. humans are out of the loop, when the machine is actually sort of deciding on its own what it should do next to get more information, that makes it a cybernetic system. So we're just at the dawn of this, right? I think everyone talking about MLAI, it's, 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 it's great, but really the thing we should be talking about is when we really enter the cybernetic era, and all of the questions of ethics and governance and all correctness and all these things, they really are the most important questions. Okay, can we just linger on this? What sure. does it mean for the human to be out of the loop in a cybernetic system? Because isn't the cybernetic system that's ultimately accomplishing some kind of purpose that at the, at the bottom 
you know, the, the turtles all the way down at the bottom turtle is a human. It's well, the human may have set some criteria, but the human wasn't precise. So for instance, I just read the other day that um, earlier this year, or maybe it was last year at some point, the um, Libyan army, I think, um, sent out some automated killer drones with explosives. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was no human in the loop at that point. They basically put them in a geofenced area, said, find any moving target, like a truck or vehicle that looks like this, and boom. Um, that's not a human in the loop, right? So increasingly, the less human there is in the loop, the more concerned you are about these kinds of systems because uh, there's unintended consequences. Like less, the original designer and engineer of the system is able to predict, uh, even one with good intent is able to predict the consequences of such a system. Is that- That's right. There are some software systems, right, that run without humans in the loop that are quite complex. And that's like the electronic markets. And we get flash crashes all the time. We get, um, you know, in the- in the heyday of uh, high-frequency trading, there's a lot of market microstructure, people doing all sorts of weird stuff that the market um, designers had never really thought about, contemplated, or intended. So when we run these full-on systems with these automated trading bots, um, now they become automated you know, killer drones and then all sorts of other stuff. We, we are, that's what I mean by we're at the dawn of the cybernetic era and the end of the era of just pure software. There's nothing per se to do right now, except that for people who are learning to code one way, they may have to find out pretty horrifically in 10 to 20 years that the way that software is made is completely different or that software makes itself. And we may take advantage of it. It's not necessarily entirely a threat. We may take advantage of it in generative AI or other domains like in driving. But also I think it's worth thinking about the meta narrative, which is that this is just a self-perpetuating machine right now, because if you don't do it, someone else will. And humanity almost cannot help but to evolve software that will surpass its own capabilities, because that's just been the observed history of the past 100 to 200 years. And we'll have to live with it in our lifetimes. And so I think it's interesting. I'm attaching Andre's essay in the show notes, and I think it's worth a read.